Sorry, brother. Nobody in the Christian church, um, nobody can name themselves a Christian without first calling themselves a disciple. Okay? And we would all say that we're disciples of Christ, but we also are, are disciples of one another. There's no man on the face of this earth that can say that they are undiscipled and not a disciple. And so the primary application that Brother Joey brought to us from Proverbs is that we, by nature, because of our sin, are stupid men and women. I know that's an offensive word, but that's the word that the Bible uses. We are, we're foolish in our own hearts, and we need other brothers and sisters. We need other men. We need, I would say, the history of the church. We need all sorts of things to try to inform our hearing because we, by nature, are not capable of discipling ourselves. Just me and my Bible under a tree. I know that's popular in our culture, but this is not the world of the Bible. We must have a view of ourselves that I'm insufficient. I'm, I'm not able to derive truth on my own account. I, I need the Holy Spirit through the help of brothers and sisters. And secondly, Brother Joey brought us through some, some helpful Proverbs, basically just reading the Proverbs about going to one another and how we should do that. We should do it carefully, lovingly, graciously, not imputing sin to others before we hear, but, uh, but willing to hear and confronting one another lovingly, okay? And so, today, I'm kind of tasked with the, the source. I don't know why we chose to end on church discipline. It's not a very bright note necessarily, but that's what we chose to do. Um, and so, church discipline, I want us to see, it overlaps with what we've been talking about. Most of the time when we hear church discipline, what comes into our mind is that last stage of church discipline when somebody is cut off from the community of the church and considered an outsider. And we've taught on that pretty extensively, I think, even in this, this series. And so I kind of try to wrestle with, what am I going to do? I don't want to just rehash old material. What, what I, what's on my heart this morning is that we would see that church is a very serious matter. And church discipline is an exceedingly serious thing that the church is called to do. Now, discipline isn't just excommunication, though. And it's not just the process of leading to excommunication. There's formative church discipline, and there's corrective church discipline. And this is even in our church constitution. Now, formative church discipline, or you could call it informal discipline. This is what happens every day in the life of the Christian, okay? As you read your Bible, as you talk with your, your spouse, as you talk with brothers and sisters in the church about spiritual things, you are being formed into the image of Christ by seeing His Word and what it presents, okay? We're being formed by our, our parents, people in the congregation, by our elders. And what I want to do is show us a, kind of an Old Testament foundation of this in Deuteronomy and Genesis. So turn with me to Genesis 18, first of all. Just to see that formative church discipline, that is the regular kind of church discipline that forms our lives, is supposed to be a common part of our lives. And really, somewhat shockingly, in Genesis 18, oh, and... See, I do this sometimes. I write down the wrong reference and I don't understand. I think it's 17 maybe. It sure isn't. Okay. Well, what I'm looking for, maybe I can find it here. Um, 
is Abraham, in the Abrahamic covenant, he was told that he must teach all of his descendants the law. Now, why do I do this to myself? That's the question. Um, 17, is it 79? Yeah, the covenant of circumcision. Uh, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout your generations. Um, and Abraham, with regard to this, was not just to circumcise his offspring, but also to, to teach them. And this is more explicitly stated in the book of Deuteronomy. And the law, if you'll turn there with me, just to a couple passages, to notice, again, that formative church discipline not only took place in the church of the Old Covenant, but primarily in the family. With Abraham, as he circumcised his own sons, he would teach them the covenant. And this is, this is told to us in Deuteronomy. First, in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, we see this familial, formative discipline taking place. Deuteronomy 4, verse 9, which says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my word, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, that they may teach their children so. Okay? So we have the command here that parents are to formatively, that is informally, discipline their children just by teaching them the word of God. Right? But what was the, the first step in this passage? That's right. It, the first thing that we're supposed to see is that before we teach our children, we should be in a heart posture or an attitude that we are taking the Word of God into ourselves and trying to keep it diligently so that we may teach our children. Okay? And the same idea is in the next passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6 and verses 4 through 7. We hear the Shema of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall, notice, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. That's that first step. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you Rise. We see again in Deuteronomy the repeated command that families are supposed to train up their children in the ways of the Lord, first being impacted by the Word of God themselves. Um, and then lastly, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, we see this command repeated. Again, notice the repeated pattern. In verse 18, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart. This is... Deuteronomy eleven eighteen, lay up them in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that, at all, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. 
Um, so we see in the Old Testament that the family is to be a primary spot of the teaching and the formative discipline of God's people, but it's also in the corporate worship of God's people. And the texts that primarily come to mind as we could go numerous places is that the priests of Israel, they weren't just to pray and they weren't just to offer sacrifices, but the priests were to be teachers of God's people. Um, any texts come to mind as we think of that? of the Old Testament priests being teachers. So, moving out from the family, we see that the priesthood was involved in the teaching ministry. And I ask that because going through Leviticus and preaching through Leviticus, I don't think it ever occurred to me before I did that that the priests had this function. I just always imagined them sacrificing bulls and calves. But notice in Leviticus chapter 10, and this is the text where you remember Nadab and Abihu, They come in and they offer unauthorized fire before the Lord. That is fire that God had not forbidden, but He had not commanded. And God kills them for this this breach. And notice in, let's see here, where should we start? Um, We'll start in verse 9. The Lord speaking to Aaron after the death of his sons. says, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, When you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. You are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Okay, So the priests had a a role that showed the symbolism of Christ being sacrificed and sacrificing these animals, but also they were to teach the people all the law of Moses. Um, Just a Two more passages to to show this to you. Deuteronomy chapter 33 also talks about, in the Old Testament, not only the family was to form the people of God in formative discipline, but the priests, in Deuteronomy 33, in verse 10. Now this is a song that Moses sang before his death, and in this particular section... He's singing of Levi. In verse 8, he says, And of Levi, he said, Give to Levi your Thummim and your Urim to your godly one, whom you tested at Massa, whom you quarreled at the waters of Mirabah, who said of his father and mother, I regard them not. He disowned his brothers and ignored his children, for they observed your word and kept your covenant. Notice in verse 10, They shall teach Jacob your rules, and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you, the whole burnt offerings on your Altar, And then maybe most famously is we could turn to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8, talking about Ezra. Ezra, the, the teaching priest who comes in and simply in verse 9. And uh, I'm sorry, Nehemiah 8 in verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites, who taught the people and said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Okay. So, as we consider that, that the Old Testament lays a pretty firm foundation that the community, the Old Covenant community, was supposed to be a teaching community. 
from the time of birth and having children, you are being brought up into the, the Old Covenant ways being taught by your priests and also by your father and your mother. Now, the question is, does that transfer into the New Testament? I think that we would hopefully say, of course it does. Not by a teaching priest necessarily, but first with the family. What text can we think of that has the family bringing up their children? I don't want to quote the text as I say that. Maybe I should. In the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Where do we find that? Yeah. That's exactly what I'm looking for. This is the clearest by far. And while we do not have an exhaustive account like we do in the Old Testament, I, I think that in reading this text, it shows that these, these laws that were given by God are, are something that's considered a, a natural law to, to godly people, to bring up their children in the ways of the Lord. We see, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And notice, he, he quotes the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment, with promise. Now, that can't mean it's the first commandment given in the Scripture with a promise. It's the first commandment in the Ten Commandments with a promise. That it may be, go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. And then notice in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, this is a commandment in our families. And it, it's interesting, reading through the the prologue of the 1689, obviously not an inspired document, but as they saw religion declining in their own day, it's really interesting that what they pointed to primarily was not just that pastors were bad and preaching was bad, they said that the families weren't engaging in family worship. And the strong words they had is they have blood on their hands because they're not training their children to, to love the Lord. Um, now, we'll say in Ephesians... How does this principle of being brought up by officers in the church, how is, where is that taught? You can go outside of Ephesians, but my main text is Ephesians. Where do we see that? I hope you can think of a number of texts. Brother. Yeah, four. Yeah, Ephesians 4. Um, Ephesians 4, and again, we could go to a number of texts, but notice, as we've read this text many times, and he, that is Jesus Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And I think this is worth noting. In the New Testament, obviously we have a, a much fuller um, manifestation of the Spirit of God given to the church and to redeem saints, right? This is promised in John chapter 7 and affected in the day of Pentecost. But Notice the language here, that God gave teaching officers in the church so that we wouldn't be driven to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Doesn't that imply that human nature, by itself, that we tend to be driven those ways, right? And we need teachers. Okay, lastly, congregation in verses 15 and 16. Something that the, the Old Testament wasn't clear about, at least, 
In the New Testament, the congregation is to be involved heavily in discipling one another. And we see this continuing on in 15 and 16. Notice, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Right? So, here in this text, it points to all of us. It says when we're working properly together, when we're living in grace towards one another and love toward one another, um, that it builds the body up in love. Right? That we formatively, informally discipline one another in the church. Now, going through all of that, I want us to see that this formative discipline that we do in our families, from the pulpit, and as we fellowship together, is so important. Because if we don't do it, if we neglect this duty, we are much more prone to falling into having to do corrective church discipline. Now, I am not saying because a church does corrective discipline that they hadn't done um, formative discipline correctly or something like that, but we are to take this seriously because of the serious nature of formative discipline, okay? Now, I think we've gone over this, but we see in Matthew chapter 18 and 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the putting people outside of the church. In Matthew 18, it says that there should be a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Now, we've asked this before, what does that mean? Christian fellowship is not appropriate in that relationship. And also, they're considered really to be outsiders and enemies to the church of God. These are Gentiles or tax collectors. Tax collectors were, were enemies to the Jewish people in their own mind, right? They're, they're the, the ones that are oppressing them. This is a serious matter. And I want to further impress upon you the seriousness of it by going to the Old Testament roots of corrective church discipline. We've seen the Old Testament roots of normative or formative church discipline, but I want us to see now the Old Testament roots of corrective discipline. Turn with me to Deuteronomy. And we're just going to go through like six verses here. I'm going to read quickly, but I want you to go with me because there's a phrase that's used, and if you've been with us for any amount of time, you might know where I'm going after I read them, but it's repeated in the New Testament, and this is meant to shock us, I believe. Deuteronomy 13, the Old Testament in its corrective church discipline. Notice in verse 5. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord our God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. Notice, so you shall purge the evil from your Midst. Okay? So a prophet prophesying false prophecy or prophesying in the name of another God. The discipline that the old covenant community had was to kill them. And we'll notice that this phrase, you shall purge the evil from your midst, is a repeated theological phrase. Next in chapter 17, in verse 7. 17 7. Um, And in the context here, this is somebody that's gone out and worshipped another god. In verse 7, he says, The hand of the witnesses 
shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people, you shall, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Verse 12, we have a repetition of this. The man who acts presumptuously by not obeying the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die, so you shall purge the evil from Israel. Chapter 21. In verses 21 through 22, we have this repeated theme. This is a rebellious son who refuses to listen to his mother or father. So notice that. In the last thing that we read, this is a man that refuses to listen to the priest. Informative discipline. Okay? And he is killed by the community. Here, it's a man who refuses to listen to his father and mother. Informative discipline. Notice verse 18, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to him, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of his city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice, he is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones, so you shall purge the evil from your midst." You and all Israel shall hear and fear. And again, and if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile the land of the Lord your God. He is giving you as an inheritance. Lastly, chapter 22. Yes, you are. You are. I know I'm going quick, but yes. Yeah. Was this a son that lived at home? Or is there a distinction? I would think so. I wouldn't think that he's married at least. He's under the authority of his parents in a particular way. Yeah. How long would he be under the authority of his parents? I think until marriage, I'm not going to, I don't know. That's a better answer. I don't know. Um, yeah, okay, good. Because that's all I got. Um, <laughs> 22-24, lastly, okay? And this is, this is a hard one, I think, for us to hear, but it's in the Word of God. Verse 23, if there is a betrothed virgin, and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both to the gate of the city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. That's in... Chapter 22 of Deuteronomy and verse 23 and 24. Okay? So, the point I want us to have here is that God had a means of purging evil from the midst of the Old Covenant community, and the means that He chose to do was death. Okay? Now, when we come over into the New Testament, I want us to see 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 13. In this chapter, I'm sure you're aware, is one of the most famous instances of church discipline taking place in the church. And this man is not killed. Praise God. But I think that everything that we have read so far in Deuteronomy, notice what he says in verse 13. 5. 1 Corinthians 5. Okay? 1 Corinthians 5. God judges those outside. And he sums up everything he says about this particular case. Purge the evil person from among you. Okay? 
quoting from all the texts that I just read, every single instance where this is in the Old Testament refers to the death penalty. Now, how should that illumine how we think of church discipline? How should that Old Testament background illumine how we think of church discipline? God takes it very serious. And to be outside of God's covenant community, if that church has made the right decision, okay, and they've acted according to Scripture, to be outside of God's covenant people is death. It's to be feared. It's a serious thing. It's a solemn thing. So, on our part, it's not something to be done flippantly, okay? But the most careful attention has to be paid to Scripture. And when we do this thing, because this is, this is death. This is death. And notice the strong language of the Apostle Paul that he uses in this very chapter. Verse 5 of chapter 5. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Okay? So, we're to realize that when we are delivering somebody, we're not physically killing them, and I praise God for that, but we're pronouncing that instead of the life-giving grace of Jesus Christ, you have shown yourself to be outside of that community. And you should take that very seriously. You're delivered over to Satan, and according to the Old Testament, this is, this is death. Okay? I'm saying that the pronouncement of the church is you have no evidence. You are showing your profession of faith to be suspect. Okay, So we're not making a popish declaration of unsaved or saved, and that's the final word in authority, but we are saying that the church can have no confidence of your salvation. It's a great question. And yeah, we're, and we're, gonna, we're getting to that. Okay? So we don't put them to death because excommunication is not final in the New Testament. Okay? Old Testament, death, it was, a, it was a final act. But here, we're cutting people off for the purpose that they'd be brought back in. Okay? That is, in the New Covenant, church discipline is always restorative. Wanting to bring the person to repentance and grace. And by God's grace, it seems in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, this very man is brought up that he's been brought back into the fold. Okay? And there's been many instances from many pastors that I know of people that have been put outside the church and that had led them to repentance. But part of the reason it leads them to repentance is the seriousness of what we're doing. Okay? It's not just removing somebody from the church rolls. It's just... Not that we just don't see them on Sunday anymore. It's not even just that we say you can't take the Lord's table anymore. It's saying that if you're outside of God's covenant community, you should have no hope that you have eternal life in you. That's a serious matter. Now, the fulfillment of this, I I believe that the New Testament gives us a couple more passages that we see the reality of this seriousness. Notice in 1 John 2, i got two more passages I want us to go to, and then we'll, we'll take some questions. 1 John 2. And we've heard this passage before. I'm, I'm confident. Notice what John says. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have 
continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Okay. And lastly, we see this seriousness, I believe, in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, um, 2 and 3, where there's particular members in the church that, that need to be disciplined and Christ is calling them to discipline. Okay. Um, notice in verse 13, in the church in Pergamum, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who has been killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. This is Christ talking. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught that Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality, so that you have some who are holding the t- teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. That is, repent of having them among you. If not, I will come to you soon with the, and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so, just as the Old Covenant community, the reason for the death penalty is because false doctrine and sin spreads among God's people. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So Christ warns the church in Pergamum here, if you don't get rid of these members or correct them in their false teaching, then I'm going to come against you and war against you with the sword of my mouth. That should terrify us. The same thing is said in the church of Thyatira, just quickly to read it for emphasis. Verse 19, I know your works, your love, and your faith, and your patience, endurance, and your latter works exceed the first, but I have this against you. And notice, we've pointed this out before, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idol. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works. And I think at least the strong implication here is that they should not have tolerated this false teacher in the church. And because they tolerated her, Christ is going to come against them. Okay? So, the thing I want to to point out to us today, and I I hope that you come and talk to me because I'm happy to do another lesson on church discipline if we feel the need to. But church discipline is extremely serious is what I want to communicate to you. Okay? Putting somebody out is a symbol of death, if I can use that, that language. It's a symbol of death that will end in death if sins are not repented of. And therefore, we must take careful care in both corrective discipline, but also in our everyday lives with one another. What me and Joey have tried to teach through for the last six months, that we would love one another, that we'd correct one another, that we'd be gracious with one another, that that would be part and parcel of our life because we, we care what happens to the church body and we care about our souls of our brothers and sisters. Okay? We must be careful about this. Are, are there any questions or thoughts? Brother? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, and I think the two are related. And, but what I think is being pointed to, and I think the reason maybe your study Bible says that, is that if this man is a true Christian, if he has a new spirit in him, okay, then he will repent. And his old nature has been crucified with Christ. I think that what's being pointed to, and I could be wrong, because what comes to mind is Job. Okay, that, that God in his sovereignty with Job, he, he allowed Satan to come and to, to have his way with Job, so to speak. Right? Now, that may not be what's in Paul's mind here. I'm, I'm willing to admit that. But my prayer for those who have, we've unfortunately had to deal with in this way is that, that God would deal with them in his providence in such a way that they'd be led to the end of themselves and that they would repent, right? And I think that that's, that's how I see it anyway. And I could be totally wrong about it, but that's how I interpret that. Deliver them over. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I think I'm in agreement with you. I, I'm saying the outer man. I think that that's what we're kind of both saying. Rather than the inward spiritual man, the outer man, whether that be his emotions, his whatever it might be, not just his physical flesh you can touch. So I think we're on the same page. Any other? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Oh, I, the, the, definitely not. I, I'm, I didn't mean for the, that to be ambiguous. We're definitely not doing that. Um, any other thoughts or questions? Any, any further need of instruction in this passage? And you can tell me now or you can tell me later. Because that's going to determine what I do tomorrow morning. All right, well, I will trust that if you, if you need some more, that you'll tell me. All right, I'm going to pray. Lord, we come before you in the name.